joining us right now is someone uh, we liked to watch an awful lot back in 1989 and into the 90s with the Baltimore Orioles. We like to watch them come in and save baseball games. Uh, that is the Otter, Greg Olson. Greg, how are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We just uh, had a a little bit of a sad segment. Uh, I'm not sure if you knew. Did you know Nick Cafardo at all, the Boston Globe writer who passed uh, away? No, I don't think I did. Yeah, he was a pretty sensational uh, baseball writer, and his column was uh, a staple for people in the industry and the uh, out, outpouring of love and affection for him. He died uh, on his day off, but he was he showed up at the ballpark anyway. At Fort Myers, he covered the Red Sox and wrote national baseball as well, but uh, unfortunately passed away of uh, brain embolism. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's an oh, wow, and that's what everybody is saying because he, he was uh, an institution up there in Boston. Anyway, on to uh, semi-happier things. Your thoughts and recollections of one Frank Robinson, who, am I right, Frank was the first manager you pitched for in the big leagues, right? Yes, he was. Yeah, Frank was. Uh, and Frank was. Uh, uh, I want to say piece of work. He was <laughs> just. You know, he had um, he had a bunch of different layers, and you know, the initial layer is this gruff and hard-edged man. And you know, the more you got to know him, the more you're around him. He was. He was awesome. Um, you know, caring, compassionate, just it took a little while to to get to, you know, to get see th- that side. To get through that armor that he had up and protecting himself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what kind of manager was he? In other words, when it came to sort of the X's and the O's, or was he more just sort of a a, a player's manager that players liked to play for him? You know what, I... I, I I don't know if I could call him a, a player's manager. You know, he was polarizing. He, you loved him or you hated him. He, um, I don't think he ever grasped how hard the game is. Uh huh. Because it, it wasn't that hard for him. Right. And um, so, you know, some guys struggled underneath him that, that you know, weren't great players. Because he he was you know he was he his, was hard on him. His standards were so high. You know they say that uh, they say that a lot about managers that the great players really find it hard because their players aren't automatically as great as them. You know. Yeah, and you know that I think there's a little bit of that to um, some of the average or below average role guys just you know couldn't handle him. So, you know, there, there was that side of it. I don't, you know, I don't know how great of an X's and O's guy he was. He was, you know, he just had gut instincts and, and made decisions that, you know, at the initial look weren't, you know, the greatest, uh, the greatest decision, but, you know, now, for now, a while, now refresh- for a while, they all worked. They worked. And I mean, you don't, you don't manage that long if you're not a good X's and O guy. Now, refresh my memory, and we're talking to Greg Olson, former Orioles closer. Uh, you, you came up, you were drafted in, in the 88 draft or the 89 draft? 
was in 88. You were in 88, but your first season up, was it late in 88 did you come up? Yeah, I came up for that terrible 88 team. Okay. You came up, but like mid-season, you were one of the shining rays of hope, weren't you? I came up uh, September 1st, and uh, I don't know if I was a shining ray of hope. I don't, you know. Well, I wasn't. <laughs> well, you certainly had a lot to do with the turnaround and the why not season. How did, I, and I forget this, I was on the radio back then, but did Frank use you as a closer that, right away in that September to take a look at you in that role, or did he wait until 89? Um, no, I didn't, I didn't get a, uh, uh, you know what I got, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't closing games. We had Tom Needenfuhr, so you okay. know, he was much more experienced. He just didn't get any opportunities that year. Right. I was seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, you okay. know, we were trying to sort things out and I didn't get, uh, I, I didn't get a ninth inning, uh, closing opportunity until you know late april my my rookie year and then once frank had the confidence in you and i guess his pitching coach was al jackson um it was just they gave you the ball and you ran with it right yeah you know what they 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 protected me from some games that were going to be difficult um we're going to be difficult situations you know they, they they kept me out of a couple games that you know still should have been mine um but you know they they started for the most part started me with clean innings you know whether it be the eighth eighth and ninth or you know very rarely was i in in the seventh in any sort of mess i don't i don't remember coming into a whole lot of jams i think they did a really good job of you know giving me clean innings and letting me make my own mess we're talking with Greg Olson, former Orioles closer, now part of the Orioles broadcast team. And, Greg, you and I talked the other day when I booked you to be on. You've got a, a few more games this year. You're up to about 25? Yeah, about 25, a couple, couple in the spring, and then, uh, um, you know, maybe a series or two series a month over the, uh, you know, over the length of the season. Is the broadcast thing something you'd like to, to do now? Yeah, I uh, you know I really enjoy it. It's I I love baseball and I I miss miss being around. And uh, this this you know affords me the opportunity to be around and and uh, you know also spend time on you know something that I love doing. Now I know you're doing 25 Oriole games. Are you also trying to go down that path that Ben is going down? Are you trying to get into doing some ESPN baseball and be on a part of that that picture? Yes. Yeah, I uh, kind of doing some of the back uh, back internet SEC baseball games for Auburn University, and hoping that leads into you know what Ben ultimately is doing, which is you know. Part-time SEC, part-time Orioles. And, yep. Um, you know, he's set a nice job of, you know, how it can be done, and and I'm hoping to follow his lead. And that would be a that's a nice that's a nice picture. Now, are you going to be doing color, or are you going to be attempting to do some play-by-play? I'm uh, strictly color right now. I was hoping to get you know I've been 
practicing and working with the Auburn radio network down here on some games that I'm not doing TV. I'll jump on the radio. and I think that's great. I think that's great. Hope, yeah. Well, hoping to get some play-by-play stuff. It's, but. it's been very interesting uh, as a Oriole fan to have guys from that generation now popping up in our radio broadcast, and I think you guys – both you and Ben add a lot to the broadcast. I really do. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Hey, uh, closing games in the big leagues, is the pressure there whether you're pitching for a 47-win team like the Orioles or a 95-win team like the Astros, is it the same or is there more pressure? In other words, is it harder to do in some regards pitching for a, a a lowly team where the pressure isn't there, but maybe the adrenaline doesn't quite flow as it would if you're on the Astros or the Red Sox. You know what? I think uh, I was asked this when my, you know, two years in Arizona because we went, you know, lost a hundred games, won a hundred games and was asked that exact same question. And to be honest with you, you know what? I felt the responsibility both, you know, I felt the, the same responsibility to my team, the same stress. Yep. Um, uh, either way, losing 100 or winning 100 because, you know, you, you lose 100 games. You, you know that if you screw up a game in the ninth inning, you might set your team back for a week. Mm-hmm. And just because of the demoralization of, hey, we're finally winning – and we couldn't pull it off, and here we go again. Yeah. And then the other side of it is you have the stress of, you know, winning 100 games and, you know, in a playoff race and every game matters, that stress. So, I, you know, I, I really I – couldn't, I couldn't tell a difference between the two. Um, and it didn't change the way I went about things and didn't change, you know, how hard I took – screwing up a game and, and didn't change the high at the end of a save. So I don't, I don't think there's really a good answer. So, so of, the, of the managers you pitch for, and I'm thinking right off the hand, I know you pitch for Showalter in Arizona and you pitch for Frank and you pitch for Otzi. Um, and who else did you pitch for? I had Bobby Cox in Atlanta, uh, Mike Hargrove, in Cleveland, Spark, had, Sparky in Detroit. I had Buddy Bell in Detroit. Buddy Bell in Detroit in a rough season. Yeah. So my question um, is, who was the best? Who was the best at sort of handling you and doing the right things to protect you? Because my God, that the wear and tear on relief pitchers, I don't think people appreciate it enough, Greg. I don't think they. I don't think they take care of the guys now. You know, I think there's a lot more of a uh, bring them up, use them while we got them. And, you know, if they flame out, they flame out. You know, I've listened to a couple organizations yeah. talk about talk about a couple of uh, mechanically challenged, very gifted arms that are coming through the minor leagues. And, you know, they're like, you know what, I, I think we rush them up here get him to the big leagues, have him for a year, year and a half, and he's going to blow out. And, and then we'll have somebody new. And then we'll move on. Yeah. And I'm just sitting in the, I'm just sitting in the room going, you guys are sick. Yeah. 
Um, Buck Showalter didn't seem to be that way. He seemed no. to, he seemed to genuinely care about. Now we can debate whether he cared about it because it meant he could win games, but he seemed to really line up his his usage a little bit on the softer side than some people. Well, he really, yeah, we, we, we had talked about it last year when, you know, I was back around a little bit on a regular basis. Right. And he had talked about how he uh, had not gotten anybody. Um, I'm trying to think of a kinder phrase. I have one that doesn't sound very good over the radio, <laughs> but uh, getting warmed up, getting warmed up without getting in the game. There was a phrase in baseball that wouldn't quite be appropriate. I got you. I understand. But he said, no, he said that he had gone the whole year without having somebody warm up and not get them in the game. That's pretty, is a, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, you know, and he tells me the story about Steve Howe, who he had in New York in the mid nineties, how, you know, he was staying in a room above him in one of the hotels on the road and how he was flipping out one night because he got warmed up and then didn't get in. Right. And I was like, you know, never got to that point where the, the my adrenaline didn't kick until I got in and started my eight warm-up pitches. But, um, you know, for me, it's just no nobody, unless, unless you do it, nobody understands the wear. It's wearing me down. So yep. I can get up and I can get hot and you don't get me in the game. I just threw a bullpen. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason. There's a reason why starters don't throw a bullpen the night before they pitch, right? Because it wears them down. But these guys just think, you know, I'll get so and so and so and so up, and oh, you know what? They only threw for eight minutes. They're fine. Yeah, not really. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot that goes into it. Hey, when's the uh, when? Do you know your schedule? I'm not saying the exact date, but are we going to hear you uh, uh, like Ben, like sort of after the college season, or you or you have some games filtered in early? I um I have a series at the end of April. Might be uh probably Chicago, Minnesota. I'm not quite sure. All right. Um but we'll hear you in April sometime. Yeah, right at the end of April, first of May, I'm on uh those six games and then spread throughout the the season. Hey, last question I've got for you. The sudden surprising news that we we knew it was coming but we thought we had one more year of Joe Angel. Uh, how did he make it uh, for you in the broadcast booth? He was amazing. Really um, was amazing, you know, for me being a rookie walking into the radio booth. He uh, he made it so easy. He made it conversational, you know, and I didn't feel like I had, you know, had to fight to – say what needed to be said right he, he gave me space and he would it was having a conversation for three and a half hours in the radio booth yep you know where he's looking at me and asking me questions and we're dialoguing and you know having done just a little bit of radio with other people it hasn't been that comfortable yep. you know where i'm kind of fighting for my space and fighting for you know I'm trying to explain this play because it was a really bizarre, whatever baseball play, and I can't get a word in. I, just, I uh, well, that's kind of what I'm here for. Is I'm here to explain what just happened, and so or you have certain or you have certain broadcasters that ask you questions and answer them before they give it to you. 
<laughs> I, I, you know what? I really, I, I've been so limited in my, my radio time that, yeah. you know, Joe Angel was amazing and really, I, I was sad that, you know, I was sad to see him go because I was looking forward to, to working with him getting, again. Yep. Well, getting more experience from just being with him. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, we'll look forward to listening to you and we'll grab you a couple times during the season if that's okay, Greg. Absolutely. All right. Thank you very much and uh, keep up the good work. All right. All right. Have a All great right. day. Thank you. Take All care. right. Greg Olson.